Hey everyone, and welcome to Social Sport. I'm Emma Zimmerman, and on this podcast, I feature conversations with endurance athletes of all types committed to fostering social change. The athletes that I speak with on this show are climate change activists, mental health advocates, promoters of more inclusive outdoor spaces, and much more. Through Social Sport, I share the stories and thoughts of people who explore the connection between sport and activism in their lives. So let's dive right into it. I am super excited to share today's conversation with Michelle Markell, also known as Super Classy. Michelle is a long-distance hiker with more than 8,000 mostly solo trail miles hiked all over the United States. In 2017, recognizing that the long trails could not exist without the public lands beneath them, she launched supportpubliclands.com, which she's currently rebuilding completely in an effort to inspire outdoors advocacy by encouraging outdoors activity. When she is not on trail, Michelle can typically be found exploring and van dwelling somewhere on our 850 million acres of public lands. Hey, Michelle, how are you doing today? Not bad, not bad. Thanks so much for asking. How about yourself? I'm doing pretty well. Yeah, I mentioned off air that I'm super excited for this conversation. I mean, I'm excited for every conversation I have on the podcast, but long distance hiking is something that I've never tapped into myself and have always wanted to and hope to. And I love reading about long distance hiking. So I'm really excited you get to feed my little secret obsession a little bit. <laughs> awesome. Well, I'm happy to help. <laughs> yeah. So I always ask guests to drop me into their space. Where are you right now, physically and mentally? Oh, wow. Okay. Well, physically, we're currently at um, my dude's parents' place outside of Phoenix, Arizona. So we, um, we spent uh, about 10 or 11 days out on the Tonto National Forest, just isolating and in the van before we came in for, uh, to meet them for Easter. So, and that uh, we're heading tomorrow out, uh, back out again. So we're heading to, actually we're heading to the South. So yeah, just trying to make that trip as quick as okay. possible, which is totally the opposite of my typical van style, which is super slow, very meandery, back roads, things like that. But we just want to, you know, in order to minimize our transmission and exposure risk as much as possible, we're just going to like, we have a destination to go to where we can be indoors and I can work on my website um, adequately. And it's way less expensive in the South than it is in California. So mm-hmm. we're we're going to bite the bullet and make the run starting tomorrow. Oh, and mentally I'm, I'm totally hiking. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, we're supposed to be on the Appalachian trail right now, but you know, due to the um, pandemic where we're, you know, a lot of the trail has since closed, you know, since we made the decision to postpone our hike, but it's just not socially responsible or appropriate to be on a long distance trail right now. So yeah. my heart is on the Appalachian Trail and uh, soon we'll at least be proximate to it and still not walking it. Mm. Yeah, that must be really difficult. And I feel like everyone has so much uncertainty right now, but living, you know, this life of adventure on the road, that uncertainty is probably really heightened for you. In a way, I would say yes, definitely, because, you know, we're sort of dependent uh, in the van, if we're not hiking, you know, we're dependent on public lands in which to park and mm-hmm. a lot of closures are happening and it's like, you know, situations changing on a day-to-day basis. But I have to say like with, in that time that we were out, you know, I almost, I actually felt guilty because we were perfectly happy and doing just fine. You know, we had a ton of food and because we're not hiking, we're not really eating much. And we have water filters, so we would just go pick up water in a creek. We didn't need to go to town. We're capable and resourceful and, you know, able to stay out on, on a forest or, you know, in public lands for a really long time, considering that we don't have to carry our food on our backs. But on the other hand, you know, we do what little income we do have is 
mostly generated from people watching and engaging with our um, our output, our content output, which these days is mainly videos of hiking. So mm-hmm. since we can't do that, then that is kind of a concern. Yeah, I like that you mentioned kind of that feeling of that you don't have to worry too much about certain things and almost feeling bad about that. Because I I completely relate to that almost guilt because you can always compare yourself to, you know, the people working on the front lines and all of that. And I think in this time, it's hard to know almost what to do to be helpful. And sometimes it's, yeah, it's just easy to compare yourself and, and feel bad about all the privileges you might have um, in this time, even though we're all kind of in this together. Yeah, I mean, we are all in this together, but there's just such a broad spectrum or range of, of you know, response and experience that people are having. Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like I'm, I am lucky that I know an incredibly wide range of people, but I'm also under, you know, seeing how different people are able to respond or not able to respond. And then I think about my past, you know, career, which is in social services, and like right mm-hmm. now. Like a lot of, there's a lot of issues there. People are stuck at home together. And so, you know, domestic violence has increased, elder Mm. abuse has increased, child abuse has increased, you know, and, and that's like, that's scary and sad. So there's that whole sort of next level, um, social impact that's occurring in addition to obviously the financial and economic impact that the vast majority of Americans are experiencing right now. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. And we're going to go back to that, what you mentioned about your career in social services and the big career change that you made. But I think we'll step away from a coronavirus discussion now because I'm sure we're both swimming in it as everyone is. And I know that you devote your life to the outdoors. And I'm wondering, did you come from a hiking family? How did that seed get planted? Actually, no, my family wasn't outdoorsy at all. I mean, like we, I grew up going, like we went like water skiing and snow skiing Mm -hmm. and things like that, but backpacking and camping and hiking and um, things like that, uh, the more slow ways, like I come from a family that loved to race everything, like they raced everything. So the idea for them to like walk two, three miles per hour across countries is just deranged. But, um, but I did grow up in Southern California, sort of in the valley of two of the ranges that the PCT passes through. So, I mean, the outdoors was always around me. So once I actually got out and started exploring it and then going on my own, especially and like realizing like how, how capable I am. Cause I think a lot of us, especially women forget that, um, we're incredibly capable and resilient and resourceful when the circumstances require it. And when you're out there by yourself, the circumstances require it. So, um, for me, it was just sort of a game changer and a life changer and integral to my personal growth as a human. It didn't come until, you know, pretty late in life, but, um, since that is the case and like with these long trails if it wasn't for like you know protected public lands and open bases those trails wouldn't exist so um you know I was thinking about uh, ways to try and, and give back because ultimately through hiking is kind of a selfish endeavor you know you take off away mm-hmm. from your loved ones for four to six months at a time and you know they worry about you the whole time and like while you're doing your thing so this to me seemed like one reasonable way that I could actually try and give something back to the places and spaces that have made me who I am now have you always had that desire in you to give back in some way even before you were a through hiker or is that something that grew with your hiking no, I've always wanted to help. That's why, I mean, like, that's why I originally went into social services. You know, mm-hmm. like I, I wanted to help people, and ultimately, for me, the the best way to do it in a way that sort of aligned with my values and abilities is, um, you know, doing work in the outdoors and trying to get people outdoors and trying to encourage more equity outdoors and uh, things like that. Get get more people out into the backcountry. Mm. So I'd love to dive deeper into that career in social services and kind of trace the thread from that into what your work that you're currently doing. So could you tell me a little bit more about that job and why you decided to leave? 
Sure. Um, well, I, my undergraduate degree is in anthropology and sociology. And then um, I moved to New Mexico. I was going to master in anthropology there at UNM because they have one of the best anthro departments in the, the country. And um, while I was there, I ended up not going back to the university. I ended up working in, as a bartender for a really long time instead, which is sort of helping people like in an enabling and maybe less healthy way but <laughs> I still um, helpful <laughs> right yeah I mean here's your here's your beverage but <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I wanted to do something a little bit more and uh, more interactive I think and so I, I went and got a master's degree in counseling in uh, marriage and family therapy and started working in social services from there so mostly I worked with uh, developmentally disabled adults but then I you know I ended up branching on to other things and my last job and where I clocked in for somebody else for social services was a I ended up being a social worker for the Department of Children and Family Services so Mm -hmm. which is a fancy way of saying I was basically a child abuse investigator and I took kids from their families so um which was not really what I wanted to do I actually didn't even know I was signing up for that job until I got to my first day of work and realized like oh Mm -hmm. gosh like this is not what I thought I signed up for. It sounded way friendlier than it actually was. But <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, yeah, after some time there, and then I realized like I don't have kids, and um, and so like getting involved with all these families where you really do see people at their absolute worst, and it, it could make you very jaded and cynical. In between that and the fact that caseloads were so high, you couldn't really help anybody so to speak it was more just like putting like a band-aid on a bleeding hemorrhage it's ineffective and it's not enough and I wanted to do more so I ended up quitting that job actually in the height of the last recession and I went to sort of full once I started doing the backpacking I moved to full-time adventuring like in 2014 2015. I can't imagine the emotional toll that that job must have taken I mean I guess from a personal perspective I feel that it would take a big emotional toll on myself. And I've spoken with a lot of folks on this podcast who had careers, maybe office jobs that they didn't find very fulfilling. And then they Mm -hmm. they left and pursued something else. But it's interesting that you bring this other perspective where you were doing a job that, you know, seems, I guess, in the description, very, I guess, important work, but you weren't, you almost felt the sense of helplessness, I'm getting, that you weren't really doing what you hoped with this job. So that's, that's, that's interesting that that led you to your next step. Yeah. I mean, it was definitely like a launching point and having, I wouldn't say necessarily that having worked in social services necessarily like directed me towards trying to do what I'm doing with the advocacy for public lands, Mm -hmm. but having that background definitely was integral to it. You know, I mean like the job itself, like it's a very soul sucking job and unfortunately it has to be done there are people that have to do it but you really do have to sort of compartmentalize and you do feel helpless a lot of the time Mm -hmm. you know and just like having that much power over families you know and whether or not they're able to stay together or not is just it's a huge responsibility so I think a lot of uh, people in that line of work you kind of have to compartmentalize and that's not really how I want to be either you know I feel like the healthy individual is an integrated individual so if you're having to like put sections of yourself aside so that you can just live with yourself and look at yourself in the mirror in the morning and show up to work or whatever it is you're having to do that's probably not the healthiest way to be and at the time I was lucky enough to have the choice to not do that and so that's what I did. I like really like what you said there if the healthy individual is the integrated individual do you feel like that's how you live your life right now? I feel like, yeah, I mean, this is not an easy life by any stretch, um, but it's definitely a more authentic life too for me. I mean, it's not for everybody, absolutely, but it it absolutely works for me. I feel happier and more at home in this van all over the place or in a tent in the backcountry someplace than I ever have any place else. So after you finished that job working in social services, did you move into the van and out on the trails immediately? Or what did that transition look like? No, it was a several years in coming. I tried to do other things for work, but none of those things really resonated with me either. It was mainly still being caught up in that idea of like, 
needing to have a conventional career and have a conventional life with the house and the you know spouse and all of those things but um none of it really felt like me it wasn't until i actually did start getting out um on my own into the back country that and then actually doing my first long trail like that's community based which is the pacific crest trail and there's a huge mm-hmm. support community on that trail because uh, prior to that, like I had done smaller, shorter trails and been pretty much just by myself. And I'm thinking I'm the only weirdo that does this. And then I got onto the PCT and I'm like, oh my gosh, there's a ton of other weirdos. And they, this is awesome. I found, finally found my weirdos. You know? <laughs> it was great. <laughs> that is so, I love that you brought up the PCT because I actually, a couple years ago, I spent some time working on a farm out in Oregon that was pretty close to the PCT and did some trail magic there. Um, for folks hiking the PCT. And I just got this incredible sense of community. I mean, I wasn't even a hiker and everyone wanted to share their story with me. And then just between the hikers, when they stopped, there was such a camaraderie and it was, it was really beautiful. Did you find that? I did. It's a magical community. And like, and I, I initially, I got on the PCT. I wasn't planning to do it when I did it, but um, earlier that year in January, I had got onto a group hike uh, of the San Diego Trans County Trail, which goes from the Salton Sea out to Torrey Pines of La Jolla. Mm-hmm. It's also called the Spines and Pines Trail, which is a, it's a route in some places, but most of the other hikers that were on it were people who had already done the PCT uh, that I you know, didn't know prior. And I, you know, after hanging out with them for several days and doing this trail, I thought, oh my goodness, if this is the kind of community that I'm going to experience on the, on the Pacific Crest Trail, then I'm just going to do it now, you know? So, so that's, that ended up happening. So does that community environment really vary trail to trail? It seems like it's not something that's the same every trail. It, it, it is different um, from trail to I mean, uh, the the AT community is huge as well, established as well, and really good people out there. I mean, like me personally, I, I feel like virtually every through hiker, like their their home trail is typically the first trail that they did. Like my trip, my first long trail was the PCT, and it's also from my home state. You know, like I grew up in California, and and so I feel a lot more ingrained in that particular community. But I've also spent a lot more time on it. Like up until last year. I spent, you know, time on the PCT hiking every year, you know, not, not doing a through hike again, but, um, you know, I just, I would just go out and get some miles out there and make sure to try and keep up relationships with the people on it, the trail angels and things like that, you know, help out in different places where I can. The trail angel community is so amazing and so integral, um, to just like this amazing community experience. I mean, they're not, I think what makes them angels is that they're not necessarily required, but they add so much when they're there that it's just a beautiful experience. And, you know, mm-hmm. people, when that you experience that sort of thing, especially if you come from a place where like that hasn't necessarily been a part of your life, then it, it becomes for me anyway, really important to try and give back as much as possible. Could you explain to any listeners who aren't as familiar with hiking, what a trail angel is and what trail magic is? Sure. Um, Basically, a trail angel is anyone like related to any hike, frankly, um, that provides assistance to people trying to make the hike, whether it means sometimes it's, you know, somebody hanging out with a cooler of beer. Sometimes it's someone who gives you a lift into town. Sometimes it's someone like that opens up their home and lets hikers stay with them. So, I mean, like the range of activities in which angels can participate with the trail is, is huge. And it's really only, you know, entirely up to them what they want to do. And then trail magic is basically what trail angels provide, which is which is that that ride to town, which is that Snickers bar you weren't expecting. It is that you know ability to take a shower and wash like a week's worth of funk off you, whatever. So I, I consider all of that to be um, trail magic. Yeah. So if any listeners live near a long trail or have the means to get to one, keep that in mind. Trail magic, trail angels are really appreciated. You heard it from from Michelle. 
Oh yeah, we, they're they're a loved part of the community, and I mean, a lot of them are are trail angels because they've either hiked the trails already or they want to, and they want to be connected to the community. And I mean, I think it's a fantastic way for people who may maybe not necessarily able to take four to six months off their life or even like do much in the way of hiking at all to become a part of something or become a part of this sort of trail culture and community. Yeah. And you mentioned that taking time off from your life. And I think that a lot of times there's this very romanticized idea of long distance hiking where, you know, it's people are taking this time, quote unquote, off from their life and this almost vacation vibe. And I know that there's definitely challenges to this lifestyle, and I'm sure there's also a lot of beauty in it. So is there anything that maybe any daily realities that you wish people knew about long distance hiking or van life or both? Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, like it, it is true. And I think especially in the past couple of years, since YouTube has become really popular and a lot of people, I guess, sort of like quote unquote train or learn about how to long distance hike by watching videos. But unfortunately, the vast majority of people putting out videos, I don't watch them. I just understand, this is just what I understand to be the case. I I don't watch um, screens really. But uh, it's this sort of romanticized view, like here's these epic views, you know, just like look at this, like all this magic, trail magic. And, And the fact is, is that on long trails, like, it is hard work. I'm like, I, I think it is still is a vacation. I call it a trailcation. It's like type A fun, but <laughs> you know, it's still essentially an optional activity in which you're engaging. And so it's, you know, it's a, it's a life choice, but it's hard work, you know, I mean, um, gosh, I don't know. I just, a lot of people feel like they're just going to walk out their door and have all of their life problems be solved. And I, and I can say from my own personal experience that I have definitely worked out a lot of emotional stuff that I had been hanging on to for a really long time by, you know, hiking trails by myself, but you still have to put in the work. It's not all about, you know, just like walking from one Epic view to the next with no hardship in between a lot of bad things can happen out there. People can die out there. It's not necessarily as safe and fun as people would, you know, lead you to believe. So I started when I did my uh, YouTube video series of the Continental Divide Trail this past year, I actually, you know, I recorded more in the style of, um, you know, like reality, you know, like I put out a lot of content, like 15 minutes to almost an hour per trail day. But like you see everything, like the whole whole range. I mean, and frankly, a lot of it is just me like complaining about the weather. But you know, it's just like this is the reality. You get bored out there sometimes. You get lonely out there sometimes. You run out of food. You hurt yourself. You know. So there's a lot to it. And I think the same thing with van life. Like social media has brought a lot of attention to these two activities, like the van life movement and. And the long distance hiking as a way to like sort of revitalize your existence. Um, but a lot of the harsh realities you're not seeing on Instagram for the most part, you know, you just see like the epic, you know, view from the outside of the, you know, van doors, you know, this is where we are today, but not necessarily like the, the trials and tribulations you went to, to get your van, to make sure it runs to, you know, but I'm in a, in a, I guess, maybe unique position, but there are certainly a lot of us who don't have a ton of money. And so it's just like, well, I have a $1,800 van was my first van. And yeah, I'm just trying to get it to limp around so I can do my thing. And that's not necessarily romantic, but I mean, it's where am I going to take a shower? You know, like all of these Mm -hmm. issues that come up, just sort of the logistics and pragmatics of day-to-day living, whether on trail or in the van, you don't tend to see that, that side of the story in social media, which I think gives people a false impression of how easy these lives are because they're not. I totally appreciate when people like you are honest about the day-to-day realities of long distance hiking or van life or whatever it may be, because I mean, that's kind of the essence of social media culture, right? Is we create these little snapshots of reality that make it really easy to romanticize a certain life. And when in reality, there are many 
pros and cons, I think, to every every lifestyle. How much of the time do you spend on the trails versus in your van? Well, this year, unfortunately, will be different. I mean, typically we'll do, we've, you know, this would be the second, third year in a row that we would, or I would have done a long trail. So that's like four to six months, depending on the trail. Um, it, the plan this year was to do the AT again. So it was probably going to be, you know, four to five months. And then the rest of the time typically is in the van. And then we do also spend, you know, like we go when things are possible, go visit people and here and there and whatnot. Like that's typically where we pit stop. Luckily, I have a, a fairly extensive network around the country of places that are mm-hmm. options for us to go. So at this point, we're not really trying to you know, do any of that because we don't want to burden anybody or put anybody at undue risk. But on a in a typical time, then it would be uh, almost half and half, but definitely more time in the van than on the trail. Got it. So when you are on the trail, I know that you stop in different towns, probably for resupply and different needs. And I recently watched the TED Talk that you did in uh, 2019. Is that correct? Yeah, last year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, last year called um, Opening the Heart at Three Miles Per Hour. And you talked about your experience meeting residents of small rural towns when you stop on the trail. And I actually wrote down one thing that really stuck with me. Uh, you said, we tend to only talk to those people we think similar to us, and we're all the poor for this. Can you explain what you meant by that? Sure. Um, I feel like at this particular time, in our society and in American history, like we've become so polarized that like in terms of us versus them or this group versus that group. And like there's just sort of general human tendency, which is essentially just a laziness to just like, oh, you you look at somebody and you just like, well, they're you make all these snap judgments about who they are, depending on where you are, what time it is, you know, situation or whatever. And so you project all these ideas about a person onto them without them even having opened their mouth yet, which is, you know, incredibly unfair. We're all unique individuals, you know, and we all essentially want the same things. We want to be happy. We want to be safe. We want to feel healthy we all approach that in our own individual unique ways. And like frequently we don't agree on how that's going to work, but I mean, I'm from California going to the South by myself in particular, when I um, hiked the Pinoti trail a couple years ago, I mean, I was really concerned about going there, like because of all of my preconceived notions about how I would have been received as a solo female backpacker in the rural South. And, you know, I was proved wrong again and again, and it really made me think about like how how limiting it is to go through life with just like these labels that we attach to other people without giving them a chance to actually, you know, show who they truly are by having a conversation, just a simple conversation, you know? So I think especially at this time with our, our political climate as it is, the idea of being open to other perspectives and points of view and just accepting people, not necessarily for their views, but as human beings, not an equal basis, mm-hmm. I think we would all be better off. For sure. Yeah, I think those preconceived notions, I mean, that's something that I've written about and I've tried to be honest about to myself in my own life because I know that I'm someone that really struggles to connect with people with different political beliefs than my own. And it's something I've very much actively tried to work on. So that TED Talk that you did really, really spoke to me personally because of that experience. So thank you for that. And I'll link that in the show notes. I think everyone should definitely check that out for sure. Thank you. For sure. And I I like what you mentioned about your experience being a woman traveling alone. And as someone myself who's done a considerable amount of traveling alone, I find the the subject kind of tricky to navigate because on one hand, as women, we don't want to think that we're any different than the men on the trail. And we also don't want to be questioned for being out there. But unfortunately, I think the world that we live in, sometimes women do feel they have to take extra precautions while traveling alone. So I'm really curious to hear about your experience as a woman hiking alone and whether you take any precautions 
how you navigate that whole conversation. I think on trail, especially like I know, I don't feel, I feel safer probably on trail than any place else. Um, as a solo female traveler, like most of my hiking miles have been solo and they've been all over the country. And I mean, it's when I actually, when I go into a town that I feel more concerned than anything. I mean, frankly, if you just, and and I do get this a lot, you know, people are like, are you taking a gun? Aren't you afraid? You know, like, how are you going to defend yourself? And, you know, after thousands and thousands and thousands of trail miles, like, what you learn really quickly is that virtually nobody criminals are as lazy as anybody, you know? So they're not like going to go out and just like wait in a, you know, lazy boy chair in the middle of the back country waiting for that one single female to come along because the vast majority of people in the back country by themselves are men, you know, just so that they can, you know, assault or you know, violate her in some way. And frankly, we're probably the worst targets ever. We all have trekking poles for the most part, you know, and it's just, just like, and we're all paying attention and we all smell horrible. You know what I mean? It's just like, why? Like, I, I don't worry about myself on trail really at all against people, you know, and for the most part, I don't worry about animals either, you know, in in traveling into towns and things like that, then I, I'm just more conscientious. I'm, I'm more vigilant, but I always am in town. You know, your odds mm-hmm. of getting violated or being becoming victimized in somewhere much higher where there's more people, which is always going to be in town than they are in the back country or on a trail. In, in all of the trails I've done, I've only ever felt um, threatened or concerned by another human one time. And that was like for a couple of hours, but that it was nothing, you know, it turned out to be nothing. Mm-hmm. I just hiked faster and got away, you know what I mean? It's just mm-hmm. like, so, I mean, there, it's definitely a good idea to be um, conscientious and be vigilant, whether you're on trail or in town, I think it doesn't matter either way. But on the other hand, I don't think it matters whether you're a male or female. I think that mm-hmm. vigilance or that sort of remaining conscientious as to your surroundings and your whereabouts and your environment and circumstances is important no matter what gender you identify with or where you are. Yeah, I like how you mentioned that's really important for everyone to remain conscientious conscientious, and maybe it's a fine line between just being careful and using common sense and being too afraid. You don't want to reach that point either, I think. Oh, no. Yeah. I mean, and and unfortunately, that's one of the main, I think that's one of the main things that keeps more women from getting, um, from going on their own uh, solo adventures in the outdoors. It's just the, these fears. And I also tend to think that those fears aren't even necessarily their own fears. They're fears that their loved ones have projected onto them, you know, like their husbands, boyfriends, brothers, sisters, parents, colleagues, or whatever, just like they don't, they haven't done it, but I don't know, they watch Shark Week or whatever. I don't know, but they're like afraid for them. And it comes from, that concern comes from a good place. And so I totally understand that as well. They're concerned for their loved one. But the way that it's projected onto the person that would like, without that input or those projections would get out there and do it. Sometimes that's the one thing that's actually holding them back from from taking that leap. And I find that unfortunate. So I think if there's anything that, I can do to help people with that. I mean, geez, look at me. I'm like, I'm for well, I'm 47 year old, you know, brown chick just rolling around out there in a dress. And like, I just keep apprised of what's going on around me. And, you know, so far so good, you know, and I don't intend to change anything. I don't carry, you know, specific weapons or designated weapons on the trail. I carry my common sense and, you know, a healthy sense of self and my surroundings. And that's about it. Mm. Yeah. I think that sounds like great advice for anyone looking to travel alone on trail or otherwise. I want to switch over a little bit to your public advocacy work and the work that you do of support public lands. I know you started that in 2017. What did the beginning of support public lands look like? Oh gosh. Well, um, it's pretty much mainly it's a it was a website project and it will be again. I launched the site initially in 2017. The website it is completely me. Like I I do all the photography, I write all the content, I do all the research. I actually built 
designed and built the site from the ground up because I'm, I'm able to do web design. And um, so mainly it was a lot of work, but because it's just me and I have a hard time because I am out so much and away from computers so much and, you know, away from connections so much, it has been incredibly difficult to try to maintain. So currently for the most part, the site's down as a, I get ready to rebuild it entirely to make it a more user-friendly and helpful resource and access point for people that are interested in exploring their public lands and also so that they can learn about different ways to um, advocate for them as the needs arise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and for someone who you mentioned not having internet access all the time and all of that, you really seem to do a great job with the resources that you have because the videos that you make are so much fun. I really appreciate watching your YouTube videos, both uh, on your personal channel and support public lands. I was watching one about the support public lands hundo challenge. Am I pronouncing that? Oh uh, yeah. Correctly. Hundo two oh. Yeah. Can you explain what that is? Sure. So my big plan for this year was, um, you know, we were going to be hiking the Appalachian Trail, and at some point on the trail, I would have hit my 10,000 trail miles. So I was super excited about that. But what ultimately, or like what originally finally got my butt up off the couch and out on the trails to start with was a challenge I had made for myself to just stop, put down the backpacker magazine and actually get out and hike some trail miles. And so I gave myself a goal of 100 miles over the course of a year, which is eminently doable, less than 10 miles a month, no problem. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that was in 2012. And, um, you know, I, so I, I did do that. And basically for me, that was all I needed, just that sort of initial challenge of like a, of a push or a sort of an external pull or accountability or something like that to stop dreaming about it and get out and do it. So I wanted to sort of in honor of, hitting 10,000 miles this year. And also because I knew that the site itself would be down for the most part um, for most of the year, because we were supposed to be hiking the trail. Um, I wanted to roll, put out a trail challenge to encourage people to get out and explore their, their public land, whether it's on a long trail, like the CDT or the AT or the PCT, or it's at their local park or whatever, you know, because I want to learn more about the public lands that are out there. I mean, we just have so many of them and there's so many different units from city parks to, you know, national and everything in between. I thought it would be a great way to sort of inspire other people to get out and uh, walk, start walking in sort of the same way it got me going. So that's the challenge. The hundo stands for 100. Basically, it was just a, and the the hundo in 2020. So the hundo 2.0 to get people out. It's a free challenge, you know, to register, just like sign up, you get a sign in sheet or like a a mileage sheet and tracking log. And at some point I'll, as soon as I get to better internet service, I'll be able to hopefully have my first giveaway just because I'm excited about public lands and I want other people to get excited about them too, because if they don't get out and enjoy them and experience them, I, I think, especially on a personal basis, when the time comes to advocate for them, they won't because they don't know, you know, don't know what you don't know until you find out you don't know. (laughs) Yeah. And you're speaking right to me, you know, as the person I'm a runner, but constantly like reading about backpackers and you're, you're speaking right to me. I should sign up for this challenge and get the push to, to get out there (laughs) and hike on public lands. Um, Do you have any other advice or words of wisdom for people wishing to support their public lands? I do. I mean, there's so many different way people can ways people can engage with their local public lands because public lands are so underfunded. Unfortunately, like almost every significant public lands unit has a friend society or a nonprofit partner mm-hmm. um, that works with the land management agency to do projects, raise money, um, improve services, improve access trails, things like that. So that would be one of my recommendations. If you have a spot that you already love, you know, look at volunteering for it, donating to the partner, you know, thing. And then bigger things come up, sort of like policy type things. Like uh, recently there there's stuff going on with the Department of the Interior wanting to open up a bunch more land for um, one-time extractive technologies, which would essentially close those lands off to us. And... um 
you know, ruin the land essentially forever. Whereas on the other hand, I think most people don't understand that uh, the outdoor recreation economy pumps around 800, 850 billion of mostly sustainable dollars into the United States economy every year. So Mm -hmm. supporting your local outfitters, supporting your local trail towns or, you know, outdoor rec towns, things like that, the the places that are getting hit the hardest most right now, there's always some way to speak up. So like when you see things that like your lands are in danger, like right now, I think there's a comment period for the Gila River wilderness where they want to fly, um, Air Force jets, like right over the top of the canyon in the Gila River mm-hmm. wilderness, which would um, have a huge negative impact on not only the local economy and outdoor recreation, because most people want to go to the wilderness for some peace and quiet, not necessarily to hear a bunch of screaming military jets flying right overhead. So when things like that come up, like almost every national forest has like, they have to post on their website if they're accepting comments for different proposals that have been brought up, like mining, like logging, like Air Force jets flying right above your head, things like that. So if you just keep an ear out, um, or sign up for their news and notifications, then you can actually engage with your elected representative in that way as well. Yeah, just hearing you talk about all this, it's almost overwhelming. It's such a vast issue, right? I, I mean, there's so many, I, it seems like there's so many things you can do to support public lands and there's so many concerns about public lands out there. And so I'm excited to see what you do with support public lands kind of as this place where people can go to almost get rid of that overwhelm and find out what they can, what they can do. I'm so excited. Like I'm part of the reason we're going to Alabama right now is because uh, we have a place to stay with like, really great internet and like our, our own space where we can isolate responsibly, which has been a concern for us right now. But I'm so excited to get the website back up and running again. It'll be so much easier to navigate. It'll be like on a state-by-state basis. So if you're from a particular state, you'll be able to click right on your state and like get information on public lands units that I've been able to get up so far. Locals that enjoy public lands, ways to use the public, you know, ways people are currently enjoying the public lands, learning opportunities and um, advocacy opportunities as well. So um, that's just like, going to be the basically the first level but you know looking forward to opening up a community within it because a lot of people I know like aren't on social media a lot of outdoors mm-hmm. people don't do Facebook they don't necessarily do Instagram so like having its own sort of native community within the site will be nice because then whether people are on Facebook or not they still have this one common place that they come to explore areas that they can go visit, maybe see some of the people that are already out there, meet up, hang out, whatever. You know, like it, it is a it is a community. It's just really widespread. So trying to like create a space for people to collectively act and and get together and and learn more about it is is really important. So I'm I'm very excited to do it. I'm super excited. Yeah, I am too. I can't wait to see everything that you do with it. I'll have to keep checking in for sure. And you mentioned that trail community again. So I have a few fast and fun questions kind of going back to the whole trail community. First of all, I mean, everyone has a trail name and every trail name has a story. And I know you are super classy. Can you tell me how that name happened? Sure. I I actually, I got my trail name on the first day of the PCT, which, which was pretty cool. So, um, because then I got to sign all the registers except for the first one with my trail name. So that was nice. But um, it's mainly because I always hike in a dress. Like I always hike in a dress. Uh, it's the most comfortable way to go for me. And like it's a little bit more lightweight than carrying around extra clothes. And um, I got it from an an AT hiker because he hadn't seen anybody hike in a dress before. But it's also because like back in the day when I had more of a budget and a little more disposable income, any disposable income, I would pack out wine. And on that first day of the PCT, I actually packed out like, I don't know, like a half of a $50 steak. My best friend had taken me out to dinner the night before. I didn't have hiker hunger yet though. So I was like, well, I will. So I'll take the steak with me on trail. So these guys saw me like bust out my little flask of wine and like the steak and they were like, oh my God. (laughs) So I've been super classy ever since. (laughs) That's hysterical. That's amazing. And it just stuck. So I yeah, and that was is, that was no, on the AT you said or the PCT? That was on the PCT. That yeah. Was on the so PCT. basically, my first 
my first day on my first long trail, I got the name and it, it's a weird one. I mean, not many people, I don't think that, I don't know of anyone else named super classy. So like I, I've heard every variation, classy, lassie, like, like all kinds of stuff. You know, people that forgot or whatever, super, yeah. super lady, whatever. <laughs> I answer to most things, but mostly food. I'll definitely answer to food. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm all about the hiking dresses and skirt. I used to be super anti hiking dress. I'll let you know. You know, I thought it was like not rustic and all of that. But once you try it, it is, it's just freeing. It's so comfortable. So I completely understand why you hike in a dress. Oh my God, it's the best. You know, it's funny. It was when I was on the AT uh, the last time in 18. You know, I hiked into Harper's Ferry, which is what they call it, like sort of the spiritual midpoint of the AT or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's where the museum is or the ATC. I believe that's where they're headquartered. I don't know. But the, like all the AT, like the headquarters is there. So you go in, you get your halfway picture taken or whatever. And I, I so I showed up and like a bunch of us were sitting on the bench out front, you know. And so the lady finally came out just to start taking pictures of the hikers. So she took pictures of all of them. And then like I was the last one on the bench and she started to turn around to go back inside. And I was just like, yo, like, uh, <laughs> what do I, she's like, are you hiking? And she looked at me like, she didn't believe I was hiking. I was like, dude, I was like, you can lower my feet. <laughs> but it was hilarious. So she sort of like, I felt like she was kind of like begrudgingly took my photo. I was like, this lady isn't really hiking. But I, mean, like, I'm wearing, I was wearing a dress that I could have showed up at a decent restaurant in. You know, I just, I had been wearing that dress from Alabama. That dress had gone like, wow. oh my gosh, like a thousand or so miles by the time it showed up all stinky and sweaty at this lady's door, but she still didn't want to take my picture. <laughs> She didn't believe I was hiking. (laughs) It's funny. Yeah. So I grew up not too far, not too far from the AT in Connecticut. And um, I remember I was probably like 10 years old. I went on a day hike with my dad and it's my first time ever seeing a through hiker. We ran into a woman who had been hiking since the start of the AT and she was, you know, had her hiking poles and clothes falling apart and dirt everywhere and carrying her big pack. And I was absolutely mesmerized. I was like, what is this? Like, I, you know, couldn't stop talking about it. And I think if I'd seen you, I would have had a completely different impression of what long distance hiking is. (laughs) Yeah. It's funny. Like there, even still now, like a lot of people wear traditional hiking gear. And frankly, like, I don't care what you're wearing, just get out there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Whatever works for you. I mean, a lot of people aren't comfortable wearing dresses. And frankly, it's not not always practical to just wear the dress alone either. Like out on the AT where you have the ticks and everything. I was frequently wearing leggings under the dress, which mm-hmm. kind of defeats the purpose of wearing a dress comfort-wise and airflow and whatnot. You know, you hey, you got to stay classy. You got to stay super yeah. classy. And I do not want the Lyme disease, you know, so I'd be wearing le- leggings underneath the dress or if it's cold, wearing leggings you know, but for the most part, I just feel so much more comfortable in a dress that I I can't imagine doing it any other way. For sure. So we are getting about ready to wrap up. And I want to end with the question that I ask everyone, which is why do you believe sport is a powerful platform for social change? I think it's kind of like a, a sneaky backdoor way to get ideas out there. It's funny. A lot of people don't really think of long distance hikers as uh, athletes, which, you know, in a way I understand. I mean, like I'm out there pretty much fueled on Pop-Tarts and gummy bears. This is horrible, you know, like just eating the worst food on the planet because it has a lot of calories and it doesn't weigh much. And uh, I was at Outdoor Retailer a couple of years ago, and Ultra was there, and they make some of my favorite trail shoes. And so I asked them if they ever did, like, sponsorships of, like, long-distance hikers. And they said, no, we we prefer to actually support athletes. And I was like, oh, (laughs) okay. Wait, you know, I get it. You know what I mean? But, like, on the other hand, we are definitely – through hiking is definitely a sport. It is an endurance sport. We're hiking, myself personally, like, typically 20 to 30 miles a day most days for months on end so if that isn't an athlete I don't know what it is we just yeah, don't your toenails are falling feeling. off that's that's an athlete <laughs> yeah I mean definitely so I mean like we don't necessarily 
look or feel or act like the healthiest of athletes, but we're still athletes. And so I think that like some of it makes us more approachable. I think, and I think sports and a really fantastic opportunity to promote social change just because people aren't looking for it. And so they're more opening, open to hearing it or more open to accepting these ideas that, that people bring out in whatever medium it is that they're, they're excelling at. Um, in terms of athletics or sport. So, I mean, just because we do this one thing that not many other people do doesn't mean that we're, you know, incapable of having other ideas about other things that are going on in the world, which is why I'm super stoked to be um, on this podcast and learn about some of the other amazing women that you've spoken to already. I, I, frankly, I can't wait till we get some better service so I can actually listen to your podcast because... You know, right now we're, I can't even upload a video. So, <laughs> yeah, well, thank you so much. I mean, it's a new podcast, so I'm super stoked to have you on the podcast, and it's been so much fun to oh talk my with gosh. you today. Thank you. You too. I'm super stoked to see how this turns out for you, and I, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to listening to all the episodes. Thank you, Michelle. Thanks for listening to this conversation with Michelle Superclassy Markel. She definitely made me want to go do some longer hikes before too long and in general, just explore these awesome public lands that we're so lucky to have. If you want to learn more about both exploring and advocating for public lands, a great place to go is supportpubliclands.com. And Michelle has lots of fun and informative YouTube videos both on the Support Public Lands channel and on our personal Super Classy Adventures channel. You can stay up to date on Instagram at Support Public Lands and at Super Classy Adventures and on Facebook at Support Pub Lands. If you've been tuning into social sport, first of all, thank you. And second of all, please share this podcast with any friends who might enjoy it. In addition, make sure to follow the show on Instagram at social sport pod and feel free to reach out and let me know what you think of the show. The best way to support the show right now is to leave a rating and a review on Apple podcasts. You can find all of the links and resources mentioned in this episode over in the show notes at anchor.fm slash social sport. That's it for today. And as always keep sporting and keep resisting.